this passage uh, today is written to people who are suffering. So today we're going to look at 13 truths for sufferers. Now, it's, it's not a passage that is kind of about suffering at an intellectual level, like why does suffering happen? Uh, I often lead the Alpha course here, which is a chance for people to come and ask their questions. One of the big questions is often, if God is good, why does he allow suffering? Uh, these are huge questions for us. This passage doesn't really do that. This passage is speaking to you if you are in pain. And um, so I want to try and reflect that mood today and speak to you if you are a sufferer. You may have chronic physical pain in your life, ongoing. You may suffer ongoingly with your mental health, with your mood, with depression, and it's a pain for you. I want to speak to you today. You may suffer because you've experienced grief or loss. You've been through a tragedy uh, in some way in your life, and that pain is there. I want this passage to speak to you today. You may have suffering because of something going on in your family, some kind of family pain that you are experiencing. Um, it may be something that happened to you or something that you went through in the past uh, that's left its mark on you, that's left its fingerprints on you. And so, uh, really, these words today need to speak to you as sufferers. And if you're a non-sufferer, um, then you need to lean in and listen in because this will help you understand what many of your brothers and sisters in the church are going through and will help you with empathy, will help you with how to uh, warmly engage brothers and sisters that are going through pain on many levels. Um, so, by way of introduction, I want to say three things, and then we're just going to get into this passage. Um, firstly, Happy Mother's Day. And um, to my mum, if you're watching online, Happy Mother's Day. Love you. Sorry, I'm not a very good son. I'll try and be better next year. Um, seriously, mum, sorry. Um, it's, this isn't really a Mother's Day message, but you could say that in a lot of mothering, there is suffering. Um, I don't want to say particularly if you've got teenagers, but you know. Um, so that's the first thing. Secondly, uh, by way of introduction, one of the challenges and privileges of being in a really diverse church with people from many different backgrounds is actually the diversity and experience of suffering. Because many different people coming from many different places will have different journeys and different stories as it relates to pain that you've experienced. We have some here in our family with incredible and intense stories of things that you've been through that are off the charts that none of us can understand. And others here that have never known anything like it. And um, it's not fair, is it? It's not fair that some people go through huge amounts of pain in their lives and others seem to have it all together. And this is especially difficult when you're building community together. So the interface between sufferers and non-sufferers or people that have experienced intense dislocation, disorientation and pain and those who haven't, it can be we're trying to build community and it can be really difficult to relate to each other sometimes. It can be like if you're trying to pass something from one car to another car, but one of the cars is driving really slowly and the other car is driving really fast. So you're looking for that moment when the two windows are aligned that you can pass. Sometimes it can feel like that in terms of trying to build community 
together when we talk about things like suffering, because for some people, this is what they live with, and you're looking for those windows of interface. And so hopefully today and these scriptures are a chance to slow down and open the windows and just have a chance for a bit of an interaction together. It can be like we talked about being built together as living stones uh, and being the house of God. But if some of the stones are smooth and shiny and all look perfect and sorted, and others of us always feel a little bit jagged and spiky, you think, how do these stones fit together? It can be tough. Uh, And thirdly, the third thing to say, uh, just by way of introduction, is that there is a tight connection between suffering and shame. So pain can be an intensely personal experience. That's why so many blues songs are like, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You know, it's like, this is my trouble. This is my pain. This is my story. Nobody else understands. Um, But sometimes that can then affect or interrupt your engagement with other people and with your brothers and sisters because nobody understands. So... Um, at that interface with people, you can have withdrawal, resentment, bitterness, feeling unworthy, always feeling judged by other people, uh, feeling just that other people don't get you. Uh, and that's why, hopefully, speaking today directly to sufferers, which is what the Word of God does, hopefully it helps to dignify you to say you're seen, your story matters to God, and um, you're valued. So, what we're going to do, we're going to read these verses. Uh, and then we're going to look at 13 things from these verses uh, that, that speak to sufferers from the Word of God. So let's read. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'm reading from verse 12. Beloved. Some people will say, cool, you had me at Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or a meddler. I like that. Meddling is just as bad as murdering. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly? And the sinner. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Father, you had us at Beloved. Thank you. These words from the mouth of our Father come full of love. Thank you for your word that speaks to us. I pray right now for those in the room who would consider themselves to be sufferers in some way. Would you speak directly? to each one of us today. I pray for those in the room who are already thinking, this isn't really for me. I pray speak directly to them. Lord, help non-sufferers and sufferers get each other in our community. 
flood us with love and warmth and empathy and non-judgmentalism. Speak to us deeply in our souls today by your word. Come Holy Spirit, take your word and put it deep in our emotions and in our weary, thirsty souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I said to my kids, I'm going to wear a bright color today because I'm talking about suffering. And my kids said, oh, you're trying to make people's eyeballs suffer, are you? I was like, no, that's, that's not quite what I'm saying. Anyway, um, so suffering is raised in every chapter before this in 1 Peter. It's something we keep coming across. And it's mentioned more times in 1 Peter than in any other New Testament text. So it's a key theme of this book. Um, this passage starts with this address, Beloved. Okay, and that's Peter writing to real people whose stories he knows. And that's important that he's saying, I'm not talking cold theory. I'm not just talking theology here. I'm talking to people whose stories I know, people who are going through a tough time. I'm looking them in the eye and I'm saying, hey, beloved. But we also hear in that the voice of God, because this is the word of God speaking to us. Hey, beloved, my people, my children, who I love who I highly esteem, who I've chosen and called, hey, beloved, yeah? Just t- turn to the person next to you, give them a little wink and go, hey, beloved. <laughs> Some of you not so sure. Okay. Obviously, you, you need to ask their consent first, right? Okay. Okay, 13 truths for sufferers. Number one, number one. Suffering should not be a surprise, okay? Do not be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. Now, the word here for surprise and the word here for strange, it's the same word. It's the word for stranger, uh, like foreigner. And um, all the way through 1 Peter chapter 4, we've had this. We've had be hospitable to strangers. It's the same word that's kind of flowing through this chapter. So what he's saying is... Don't feel like when you suffer, like a stranger is walking with you. Don't turn around and go, who are you? How did you get into my story? Get out of, this is my story. Actually, suffering is a personality that is part of the calling that we have, both as humans, post-fall, and especially as followers of Christ, the man of sorrows. The symbol of Christianity isn't a throne. It's a cross. And so don't be surprised as though a stranger was walking next to you when you experience suffering. And if you are surprised, it means you've not been taught very well or you've not read your Bible very well. It should not be a surprise when we encounter pain. So please dismantle any prosperity gospel if it's floating around in your brain somewhere. Thank you. Number two. Suffering is fiery. It burns. So don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Burns hurt when they happen. If you ever burn yourself in the kitchen or more severely, burns hurt when they happen, but they hurt for a long time afterwards as well. They leave their mark on you. This recalls uh, chapter 1 and verse 7 where where Peter spoke about your fire-tested faith, your faith that's been tested by fire, it's more precious than gold. Um, and maybe it recalls at the time uh, that Nero, the Roman emperor who was persecuting the church, one of his favorite things to do, and he was unhinged, 
was to burn Christians in his garden as like torches while he was having his parties. And so maybe it recalls this to some of these brothers and sisters as well. And also fire speaks of randomness and unpredictability and uncontrollability. Suffering is not tame, and sometimes it just turns up in unexpected places. Number three, suffering is a trial. So don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Uh, We often say, or uh, you, you hear older people say maybe, all these things were sent to try us. And, um... This word, trial, is part of our understanding when we go through a tough time. But one of the things we need to know is it's not like a court trial where you're, at the end of a process, you're either going to be found guilty or innocent. Or like a driving test where at the end you're either going to pass or fail. It's not talking about that kind of test with a sort of a binary outcome. Oh, I'm going through suffering. Hope I pass. It's more like, again, we saw in chapter 1, verse 7, the the fire that comes to test and refine gold. Uh, Or the proverb from the book of Proverbs, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. So the idea is not that suffering is a test that you have to pass, because a lot of time if you're feeling full of pain, you're not feeling like you're passing a test. The idea is that suffering both tests you and refines you and works through you. It's almost like um, if you book an MOT plus all the work that needs to be done on your car so that it comes out better than it went in. Um, It's almost like that. So it's not just do I pass or fail my MOT. It's do I get my car out with everything fixed and better and ready for the road. So suffering is a trial that works in us. Number four, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to ping through some things. Suffering is sharing something with Jesus, right? It says rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. So Jesus is a suffering man, the man of sorrows. And um, if you are experiencing pain, you have something in common with Jesus, Right? So Edward Clowney, he said, the reality of our suffering for Christ becomes a pledge to us of the reality of our belonging to Christ. Paul called it the fellowship of his suffering. I experienced the fellowship of his suffering. So people that have been through similar experiences understand each other. That's how support groups work. We're all recovering from addiction, so we kind of get each other or we're all recovering from grief, so we kind of get each other. So people that have been through shared experience of suffering, they, they see it in each other's eyes. They, they have a connection. And so what this says is if you're going through an experience of pain, you have a connection with Jesus. Um, you have a, a, a bond. It forges your bond with Jesus. You get him better, and you feel more known and loved by him. So don't you understand, your, your pain is not an abandonment by God. In fact, it, it, it brings you closer to him through Christ. God has revealed himself in the world through someone who suffered. Uh, Samuel Rutherford said, 
um, when he was cast into the cellars of affliction, he would always look around and think, ah, the king keeps his best wine down in these cellars somewhere. Um, and Spurgeon, the old preacher, said, those who dive in the sea of affliction bring up the rarest pearls. And these aren't platitudes. These are words from people who have been through tough times. Number five, uh, suffering leads to glory. So the verse says, when his glory is revealed, this suffering will result in joy and gladness. So that means actually after you die at the end time. Okay. Psalm 90 and verse 10 says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. All the over 70s and over 80s are giggling away here. Yes, we beat Psalm 90. Um, glory is a difficult word to understand. Um, we have it 14 times in 1 Peter. So 1 Peter talks about suffering a lot. also talks about glory a lot. Um, in this passage, we'll hear that the spirit of glory rests on you. That's now. But here it talks about, actually, these things will only really make sense when his glory is revealed, which is future, which is at the end of time. And the point is this, and listen carefully. Suffering can be like a, a, a force that feels like it's pulling you towards death and whatever comes after death. And actually, the more that we dig in our heels and resist and hold on to this 70 or 80 years that we have, the more pain it can cause in us. And we fight for life because it's all we've got. But maybe we should allow our pain to pull us towards the end of our lives and accelerate our death and our entry into our post-life, true life. Because then we'd enter his glory. What if we overrate our days on earth and underrate our eternal life? And what if when suffering pulls us, instead of digging in our heels and resisting, we should go, this is bringing me closer to the life that is truly life. It's a bit like... On Netflix, one of the things I love about Netflix is when the titles come up at the beginning of a show, you can skip and go, I want to get to the real stuff. And friends, this life, this 70, 80 years that we've got, it's just like the titles at the beginning. The story hasn't even started yet. It's when we're raised with Christ, that's when it really starts. Don't overrate life. And don't underrate eternal life. You didn't think you were going to come to church and get told that you should focus on your death. But if you only think about this life, chronic suffering, suffering can be meaningless. Because you might miss, there's no redemptive value to this. Nothing good has come out of it. Actually, there's redemptive power for the life to come. And number six, suffering leads to joy and gladness at that end time. Joy and gladness are different things. Uh, joy is a deep-seated 
faith-derived positional reality. I can be joyful, but my face can still look somber because joy is a deep thing. Uh, gladness is a bit more nuts and bolts, a bit more clinking glasses and wiping away tears and putting arms around each other and having a, a kind of moment to breathe deeply and be together in, in friendship. And it can feel super spiritual or even toxic to say to a suffering person, hey, rejoice. Um, but for those who suffer with lifelong various sufferings, at the advent of Jesus Christ and at the wiping away of all tears, there won't just be joy, deep, loud, rich, ever-flowing, strong joy. There will also be gladness. And sitting around and for those that have been alone it will be with other people and for those who haven't been able to walk it will be walking and for those who could never sing it will be singing number seven uh, insults are blessings so verse 14 when you're insulted you're blessed um, this recalls the beatitudes that Jesus taught um, you know Blessed are you if people say stuff against you. Uh, so an insult is suffering inflicted through words by another person. And it's easy to say, hey, if you're suffering and you're insulted, actually treat it as a blessing. But if you're suffering, you're thinner skinned than normal. You're more sensitive to insults than normal. And you feel like you're being kicked when you're already down. Um, you're screaming inside for understanding, encouragement, empathy, just to be seen. And uh, you are, in, in fact, experiencing uh, words that should have just been taps. You're feeling like hammer blows. And words that should have just been punches, you're feeling them like fatal sledgehammers. But when you're insulted, you're blessed. Because um, to insult means to speak badly, but to bless means to speak well. The Greek word is evlogia, which is where we get eulogy. In English, it means good words. So when people speak bad words to you, God is speaking good words to you. Number eight, um, the Spirit rests on you. The Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Rests on you is a lovely phrase because there's no activity in it. It's not the Spirit is doing this or the Spirit is working this or he's... When you're suffering, you're tired, and you, the thought of like, more things being done just seems exhausting. But actually, the Spirit is resting on you. That's incredible. And um, I want to encourage all of you, wherever you are in your Christian journey, to pursue a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you've never received the filling of the Holy Spirit, if you've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and known the Holy Spirit resting on you, press in for that, ask for that, ask God for it, get someone to pray for you because when you hit tough times, it's that relationship with the Holy Spirit that will bring the, the glory and the presence of God into your now. And it's hard without the oil of the Holy Spirit lubricating your life. Number nine, we're doing 13. The reason we're doing 13 is because it's unlucky for some, and so I thought we should do 13. Number nine, there's no shame in suffering as a Christian. Um, 
He says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let them not be ashamed, but let them glorify God in that name. So the word Christian only happens three times in the New Testament, okay? Uh, twice in Acts and once here. And it's always in the context of being an insult. People going, oh, you're such a Christian. It's, it's, a, it's like the, the worst word that people could think of. That's, it says in, in Antioch, they were first called Christians. It was like people mocking them. Ah, what should we call you stupid people? Let's think of a name. Oh, you're Christians. And he says, actually, when people insult you with that name, you could take it as a compliment. It's a bit like punk culture. I don't know if anyone here was a punk back in the day, looking around at some of our older guys. Yeah, maybe. Um, Punk culture was supposed to be anti-establishment, anti-status quo, rebellious. And so actually people would go, oh, you're such a punk, you punk. And people would go, oh, thank you very much. So it's supposed to be an insult, but people take it as a compliment. Today you might say rebel. Oh, you're such a rebel. Oh, I don't mind if I do. Um, and it's the same as a Christian. People mean it as an insult, and it is an insult, but you know, yeah, more fool you. Yeah, so what if I am a Christian? Let's see what happens, yeah? Number 10, suffering puts things in perspective. So this is where it speaks about judgment begins with the, with the family of God, and it's harder for those that are outside the family of God. Essentially, he's saying rejoice that you're going through this as a person of faith as a member of the household of God, and that there's grace at work in your situation, rather than as an outsider to the faith, who are exposed to these same fires, but without any redemptive understanding, without any comfort, without any hope, without any community. So yes, suffering as a believer is hard, but suffering as a non-believer is harder. That's what he's saying. And if you're suffering as a non-believer here today or online, Come and join the family. It might not take your suffering away, but it will put people around you who love you and can journey with you. And so we come to verse 19, which is the kind of the conclusion of this whole section. And the next verse starts a very different section. And for me personally, in my Christian story, has been a really meaningful verse for me over the years. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. Uh, so Wayne Grudem says in his commentary on 1 Peter, in this one verse is summarized the teaching of the entire letter. So in this one verse, you kind of crystallize everything he's trying to say here. And so just a few things. Number 11, suffering is not meaningless. He says, those who suffer according to God's will that means that God does have purpose in this, that your pain is not outside of God's sovereign domain, that meaningless, random suffering is one of the hardest things to ever get our hearts around. But somehow, God has purpose in your pain. And um, it, suffer according to God's will does not make God callous. It doesn't mean God's like the little boy who's plucking wings off flies and laughing at them. It's not saying God purposed your suffering, but it, it actually settles me down somehow. I don't know how, but this too is within the sovereign purview of God who is making everything new and working everything for good and for his glory. So I know it's hard, but 
suffer according to God's will means this is not outside of the grasp of a loving father. It's not outside of this word, beloved. It's not outside of his plan to make all things new. Number 12, and we're nearly there, sufferer, entrust your soul to God. So it says, entrust your soul to a faithful creator. Um, This is like the same word when Jesus prays on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It means I'm giving it to you, God. I'm giving my soul, my weary soul, my thirsty soul, my dry, scarred, tear-drenched, old, prematurely aged soul. I'm entrusting it to you, God. Soul suggests immortality and again puts suffering in its proper perspective. I give it to God and he'll give it back to me one day healed and restored. And I'm finally number 13, sufferer somehow uh, keep doing good. While you suffer, keep doing good. If, if we can do anything while the Spirit rests on us, keep finding good to do to people. So, for some of you, you zoned out at, at the beginning. For some of you, God had you at Beloved. For some of you, this is churning over soil in your heart that's maybe been trampled down and pressed down and actually it's just churning it over and putting some oxygen in and putting some light in. Um, We're just going to take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit and we're going to pray. I'd invite you please to stand. Uh, Tavi, will you come please? And um, we're going to do that thing that Christians do, where we invite God the Holy Spirit to come and be in the room and to come and move among us and to come and rest on each one of us. Um, Perhaps you'd raise your hands if you feel comfortable. It's a sign of just saying, God, here I am. I want to entrust my soul to you. I want to receive from you. And we're just going to pray. Loving Father, please send your Holy Spirit now to each one. Lord, only you see inside our heads. And only you weigh what is inside our hearts. Our pain is secret and private, but in front of you, it's like an open book, and we thank you for that. So come, Holy Spirit, now. Open up the books of our hearts and write fresh words. For some of you, that book's been closed for ages. There hasn't been anything new written in it for a long time. And the Father just wants to write fresh words into your life. And he starts with beloved. 
Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Some of you right now, you'll feel the the spirit of glory just resting on you. You'll feel his presence. Just allow the Holy Spirit to rest on you. you in this moment give your pain to God let him take the book and open it let him plant some new seeds in your churned up soil all he wants to show his love to show that he sees it to show that he sees you for some of you this is a new experience you're not used to standing like this in the presence of God (laughs) it's good eh Good, eh, Scott? (laughs) Let's receive the Spirit, guys. Receive His touch. Receive His love. I just feel right in the middle of the room here, in this section of younger-looking people, um, Don't discount the, the, the difficult experiences that you've had. Don't think, oh man, my pain isn't really very much. And for some of you, God is really giving you, in this, in this younger generation, God is really giving you compassion and empathy and a passion about justice and a sensitivity towards brokenness that it is massively important in the kingdom. University students, people under 30, just receive a, a, an ability to, to empathize, to listen to people's stories, to relate. It's, it's going to be hugely important, guys. Some brothers and sisters who've come 
from another nation and landed in Reading and have experienced pain that we probably can't understand in your dislocation. Just know that you're a gift to the church here, that your compassion, your experiences, your wounds, your scars, don't hide them away from us. Don't keep them secret. Tell your story here because you're a gift to the church. We, we need your story. We need your experience. Your pain will help us grow. So please have permission. <laughs> Don't just turn up at people's houses and go, right, here's my story. But have permission to, please, we, we need you. You're a gift to the body here, what you've been through. I just want to pray for those who are grieving at the moment. If you've experienced loss, one of the things that COVID has done is it's backlogged a whole load of grief that people haven't had the opportunity to process well. If you've lost someone in the last couple of years, right now I just want to pray for you. Father, we pray for those here who are going through grief. We pray, Lord, even the ones that we as a church family are not aware of, those who've been through loss, Father, you supremely understand this because you lost your son. Father, you come close, I pray, to these dear ones. I pray let their grief uh, journey be one that comes out the other side of the tunnel. Let, let, let it not stay heavy upon their souls, but let, that, let it work into them and come through them and come out of them with time. Please, Lord, let grief have its voice. Those that have suffered and lost over the last couple of years, please, my Father, would you bring your healing. Please, my Father, would you bring your healing. And now let's all just lift our hands to our faithful creator and do what verse 19 says, which is entrust your soul to him and continue to do good. Right now, each one right across this room, make a choice. Make a choice to entrust your soul again to him. Lord, my soul belongs to you. My time, my life, my emotions, my deep feelings, it's yours, oh God. I don't want to do it on my own. I want to entrust it to you. And Lord, my, my life after death belongs to you. My immortality belongs to you. My resurrection belongs to you. My future outside of this body belongs to you. I entrust my soul to you. The, the precious part of me, the deep part of me, the immortal part of me, I entrust it to my faithful creator. Because from you it came and to you it will return. I entrust it to you, O oh God. And for those here today who are new in the room, guests, visitors, uh, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet, maybe nearly, just want to encourage you today. This could be your moment to say, Lord, I entrust my soul to you. I give my life to you. I take my who I am, and I put it in your hands. And right now, I just want to lead you in a prayer. So if that's you, if you're new, if you've never taken that step of saying, Lord, here I am, take my life, I want to pray a simple prayer. You can pray it after me. Here's the prayer. You ready? This could be the most important 
prayer you ever pray in your life. This is like a, a new moment. Heavenly Father, just pray it after me in your heart. Heavenly Father, I choose to entrust my life to you. I'm sorry for the mess, the pain, and the sin that came out of my old life. I turn away from that now. Thank you that you've promised to give me a new start, new birth. Thank you that you welcome me with open arms and call me beloved. I choose today to entrust my life to you. Please forgive my sin. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Please be with me for the rest of my life. Please show me how you want me to live. Amen. God bless you.